Today's reading is Psalm 124. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when people rose up against us, then they would have all swallowed us up alive. When their anger was kindled against us, then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us, then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord, who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken, and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. The word of the Lord. All right, let's just see if when I start the sermon this way, if this, y'all can finish what, what I'm saying. I'm going to start singing a little song. Let's see how many of you in the congregation here. This is going to be a good test of your exposure to a, one of the greatest movies ever made, but I'm getting ahead of myself, all right? Buffalo gals, won't you come out tonight? Won't you come out tonight? Won't you come out tonight? Buffalo gals, won't you come out tonight and dance by the light of the... There we go. All right. I love it. I, love, I don't know. When I thought of It's a Wonderful Life, I immediately, my mind went to that song that was, of course, sung by a young George Bailey and Mary. I don't know her maiden name. Does anyone know that? Mary Patch. Yes. Mary Hatch. Mary Hatch. A young Mary Hatch. Frank Capra's 1946 classic, really arguably one of the best movies in the history of American cinema. It's not just a great Christmas movie. It's just a great movie. It was not appreciated at the time, um, but we have grown into it. And, 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 and I love It's a Wonderful Life. It's one of my favorite movies growing up. Um, and, it, and its plot just turns on this extreme, extremely simple but powerful premise. What if? What if? It invites you to imagine an alternate reality, uh, which turns out to be a dystopia. At the beginning of the movie, George, he's at the brink of suicide. His life and his business are a mess, and he believes because of his life insurance policy that he's worth more dead than alive. And so he goes to the bridge, and, and he wishes, but you could even say that he prays, he cries out that he had never been born. He says, I wish I had never been born. And then the angel Clarence shows up in the river. So before George can get in there, he rescues Clarence. And Clarence grants him his wish, and in a manner that's reminiscent of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. He gives him a glimpse into this alternative world where he had never been born. And the world without George is a hellish place. The evil Mr. Potter owns everything. Bedford Falls is literally Pottersville. George's brother Henry, he drowned in childhood because George wasn't there to save him. And thus, in this sort of cascading butterfly effect, you don't know one event leads to another. Because Henry wasn't saved by George, later on in the war, a whole trip, a whole transport ship full of troops sunk because his brother Henry wasn't there to rescue those soldiers. Martinis, which was the friendly neighborhood tavern, where when George was desperate, they refused to overserve him and they said, Go home, George. Well, Martini's is now Nick's, a seedy juke joint, where when Clarence very innocently, innocently orders a mulled wine with, you know, extra cinnamon, Nick, um, one of my, that's probably my favorite line in the whole movie, when Nick retorts to him, we serve hard drinks in here for men who want to get drunk fast. <laughs> but worst of all, in the whole movie, the most depressing and dark scene of all is when George encounters Mary. 
the, the love of his life, the wife, his wife, the mother of his children, and it turns out that she's a spinster and the worst thing possible, she's a librarian. <laughs> Apologies to all librarians in attendance. In attendance. They, one, one just walked out here. One just, someone was just like, I can't believe you're slandering my profession. No. But It's a Wonderful Life, it turns on this great what if. What if George Bailey had never been born and the world of that what if is a terrible nightmare. Now Psalm 124, in a similar way, speaks to an alternative reality, a what-if scenario, right? What if the Lord had not been on our side? Let Israel now say it's got this call in response to it. If the Lord had not been on our side, what if? What if that had been the case? And what would have happened if God hadn't been with us? What would our lives, what would the world be like? Let's just take a moment to reorient ourselves. So uh, this summer we're doing a sermon series uh, called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction based on Eugene Peterson's book by that same title. And it's, it's looking at Psalms 130 through 134, those 15 psalms as really a rich material from which to draw inspiration and direction towards a life of discipleship, of following Jesus. Peterson sees aspects, an important aspect of being a follower of Christ in each and every one of these psalms. And they're pilgrim songs. These were songs sung by pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem, the holy city. And as Christians, they are songs uh, sung by us as we are on the journey of faith, of following Jesus on our way to God. And the theme of today's psalm is help. Because there's this dual reality when it comes to being a disciple, when it comes to following Jesus. The road isn't easy. It's not easy at all. It's dangerous. There are pitfalls, attacks, potential harms all around us. But the focus of this psalm isn't on the hazards. It's on the God who helps. And so central to the life of discipleship is reflecting both on on the hazards, honestly talking about the hazards that we've faced, but more importantly, on how those have been the places where God has showed up most powerfully. Psalm 124 invites us to, into this truth, that when things are at their worst, that's when God is at his best. Things were at their worst, and then God was at his best. And so to be a disciple is to be someone who can testify that, and, and to be part of a community that testifies to that. Things were at their worst, but that's when God was at his best. And if that hadn't have been the case, if the alternative were true, then we shudder to consider the alternative. If God hadn't have been with us, if God hadn't been for us, it would make George Bailey's alternative universe seem like a walk in the park. A world without God, you know, Pottersville might as well be heaven. And the great claim of Psalm 124 the, the resounding claim that it makes is seen in its last verse. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Now, I found something interesting about that particular verse as I was doing my studying uh, for the sermon this week, and, and, and it relates to uh, the Reformation. So, uh, and what's interesting to think about is when you think about sort of, uh, you know, the world of sort of medieval, late medieval Roman Catholicism, like church had sort of been the same for several centuries, 
And the way most people experienced faith was, you know, attending Mass. And so you'd go to Mass, and Mass was the same as it always was. There was a priest, investments, you know, facing the altar, speaking in Latin. You certainly didn't understand it, or most of it. The priest maybe didn't understand what he was saying. And once a year, you know, if you were feeling courageous, you would go forward and you would take communion, but you'd receive the host only, never the cup. And so church had been this way for, you know, at least mostly the same for a few centuries. And then all of a sudden, this Reformation takes hold in parts of Europe. And the way that your average person would experience it most, the change most profoundly, you know, when we're talking about justification by faith and sola scriptura, okay, like those are big, heady theological ideas, but how do they manifest themselves in the life of the average believer? It's in the worship service. How is the worship service going to change? And so when the Reformation comes to your town, you're going to notice it because church is going to look and happen a little differently than it did before. And John Calvin, who was the, the French reformer who brought the Reformation to Geneva, when, when the leaders of Geneva invited him there and to bring the Reformation there, they said, you need to come up with a new liturgy, a new way, a new church service ordered, a way of doing it. And so Calvin did that for Geneva and for Strasbourg. And he chose to begin his worship services with these words, our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. So when you were in Geneva, each and every Sunday when you went to church, the minister would get up there and he would say, our help is in the, Lord, in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Because for Calvin, there was no better summary of the hope we have in Christ. The great truth that encompasses the Christian life is that when we needed it most, God showed and helped us. When things were at their worst, that's when God was at his best. And the psalm declares that audacious message unapologetically. No caveats. And it invites us to do the same. Eugene Peterson says about this, he says, in the details of conflict, in the minuteness of personal history, the majestic greatness of God becomes revealed. Faith develops out of the most difficult aspects of our existence. Not the easiest. Faith develops out of the most difficult aspects of our existence. Not the easiest. And regarding these most difficult of circumstances, Psalm 124, it it identifies really four types of attacks that the Lord helps us escape. And so we're going to take a closer look at those now. And I believe that at least one of them, maybe all of them, will resonate with us. That we faced those attacks. We've been in that place and we need or we've needed the Lord's help. So the first type of attack uh, comes in verse 2, where it says, you know, if it begins, if the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel now say, if the Lord had not been on our side, verse 2, when people rose up against us. In this language here, it connotes a surprise attack. It's like an, an ambush. And so the surprise attack, the ambush, is when something comes up just out of the blue, out of left field, and it smacks us. And so have you ever had that happen to you? Life was just going along, everything was just fine, and then boom, you get ambushed. Could be a sudden health problem for yourself or someone you love. Things were fine one moment, and then the next one, everything changed. Could be someone coming up to you and telling you, hey, you know what? This relationship, it's not working anymore, and it's over. 
I had a friend from seminary who met his wife in seminary, and, and she just came home one day and said everything about their relationship was going to change. She wasn't the person that she was when they got married, and she didn't even believe in God anymore. And so just like that, boom, ambush. Out of the blue. He wasn't expecting it. And all of a sudden, everything about his life changed. Ambushed. And in the midst of the ambush, we hear these words. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. And the good news is, is that Jesus has been there. On the night he was betrayed, celebrating Passover with his closest friends, and, 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 and he leaves the house, and the next moment he's ambushed by this mob led by Judas, betrayed with a kiss. Jesus was ambushed, but God was with him right there in the ambush. The second type of attack that the Lord helps us escape is seen in verses 3 through 5. So again, if the Lord had not been on our side, they would have swallowed us up alive. Then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. And so what the psalmist is describing here is the deepening flood. When things just keep getting worse and worse, when, when circumstances or your emotions build and they make you feel like you are about to be overwhelmed. And the rainy season in Israel, as you know, rain is falling from the sky and snow is melting from the mountains, you know, these once safe, dry riverbeds, all of a sudden they, they start filling with water. And, and flash floods are a constant danger. And so how many of us have faced a deepening flood? have felt like, you know, one thing after another after another were happening to the point where we felt like we were up to our eyeballs and we just couldn't take it anymore. You know, where the old saying is true, when it rains, it pours. You know, you lose your job and your parents have to move into an assisted living facility. Anxiety is just squeezing you and making you feel like you can't breathe and then your kid keeps getting in trouble at school. And so in the midst of the raising waters, the consuming flood, we hear these words, our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. And Jesus was in the middle of the stream when the flood waters were rising around him. He felt like he was going to be overwhelmed. You know, he's praying on the Mount of Olives in the Garden of Gethsemane, as pictured in our stained glass window, saying, my soul is sick to the point of death. Father, is there any other way? Let this cup pass from me. The waters were rising up around him. But God was with him in the middle of the rising flood. Now, the third type of attack comes in verse 6. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. And so the image here, the, the six, in verse 6, this third kind of attack is that the menacing beast. The psalmist is like a little rabbit before a ravenous wolf. And so when we're confronted with the menacing beast, we're confronted with something that makes us afraid. And in many contexts around the world today, you know, Christians have to face real menacing beasts, oppressive totalitarian governments, terrorism that targets their church communities, persecution. And thanks be to God, in our sitting, in our situation, we don't face that here. And so for us, this fear can maybe feel more abstract, but it's no less real. There's all kinds of fears, menacing beasts that face us. There's the, the, the fear of failure. 
Right? What if I try something and it doesn't work out? So we don't even try? There's the fear of change. Because what if that change ends up being for the worse? There's the fear of taking a stand. What happens if I stand up for what I believe or put myself out there and people don't like me for it? Just that overall fear of rejection. I put myself out there and people say, no, no thanks, I'll pass. Fear is this, this constant that threatens to paralyze us. But the good news is that Jesus has faced down the menacing beast. In 1 Peter, he says that Satan is like a roaring lion. And so Jesus faced the full force of the menacing beast. The beast did its absolute worst it could ever do to him or anyone else on the cross. But God was with him when the menacing beast bore its teeth. And the last type of attack we see in this psalm that God helps us escape is from verse 7. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. And so this last danger, this last Hazard is the hidden trap, which is temptation. The danger of something that seems good and and, and seems easy luring us down the path towards something bad and wrong. And the image here is of a bird walking helplessly into a trap, lured there by this bait. Now, how many of us can relate to, at some point in our lives, falling into temptation? The temptation to do the easy thing, which is the wrong thing, rather than the hard thing, which is the right thing. To do what just feels good in the moment, rather than make the sacrifice that will pay off in the long run. The temptation to take a shortcut, rather than continue on that path of long obedience. But the good news with temptation is that Jesus has faced every single temptation that we have. I mean, his public ministry basically began with him being baptized, and then he's led out by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested. And he faced the same temptations we all face, the temptation to be relevant, the temptation to be popular, the temptation to be powerful. And he walked right into those temptations that ensnare each and every one of us. But God was with him in the snare. All right, those are the dangers that that God helps us from, the the ambush, the overwhelming flood, the menacing beast, and the traps of temptation. And what the psalm focuses on is not so much the what-if world, but what if God hadn't been on our side when we faced these things? I mean, the answer is obvious. It would have been terrible. They would have gotten us. But instead of focusing on that counterfactual world when God wasn't with them, the most important thing it focuses on is God's help. God's deliverance, God's presence, God's power in the face of those attacks. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. When things were at their worst, that's when God is at his best. And as pilgrims on the journey towards God in the way of Jesus, that is the reality that we live from and we testify to. Here, as is fitting, I will give the last words to Eugene Peterson. We speak our words of praise in a world that is hellish. We sing our songs of victory in a world where things get messy. We live our joy among people who neither understand nor encourage us. But the content of our lives is God, not humanity. We are not scavenging in the dark alleys of the world, picking in its garbage cans for a bare subsistence. We are traveling in the light toward God, who is rich and mercy and strong to save. 
It is Christ, not culture, that defines our lives. It is the help we experience, not the hazards we risk, that shapes our days. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please pray with me.